Welcome to Bread. Advent is a time of preparation and expectancy. In these final weeks of 2023, our services are dedicated to giving us the time and space to consider again the extraordinary story of God becoming human, of the infinite becoming intimate, and of Jesus coming near. It's a time of hope and peace and joy and love. Um, this is the final service of the year, and it's my final talk as a church leader here at Bread. And to be honest with you, I've been putting off writing this talk. I've been slow to write it and have procrastinated on thinking about it because goodbyes are hard. And so this morning, I preach to you not just as a church leader, but as a younger brother. Take this as brotherly encouragement. My hope for today is to encourage you in Jesus. I hope to help us to set our eyes on him again as we each go our ways into the new year, into the new season in the life of the church And I truly believe that a change in leadership is the outward working of God doing a new thing. And really, God is doing something new here. And the challenge with new things is the tendency to stay in the old thing, is it not? To stay in what is comfortable, to remain in the familiar. And what I appreciate about Advent is that it shakes things up. It wakes us up to the thing that God is doing today. Advent invites us to expect on God again. Advent anticipates God's activity. It expects God promises. It raises our gaze from the dark to the light to God himself. And so in my final talk, I'm going to speak on expectation expectation. And the story of Mary and the angelic visit shows us what it looks like to have our expectations reordered. And so I'm calling this talk Unexpected News. Um, we're going to read Luke 1, 26 to 38. And Noah's going to read for us. Let's give it up for Noah. I'm going to hold the mic for you. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is, to, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive in, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Um, let's pray, shall we? God, I thank you that you are here. Thank you that you have never left us, that you will never forsake us. And um, thank you for just such a special, just the special place that bread is. And as we wrap up the year, um, as we reflect on our time together here, I pray that you would be encouraging us, that you would be speaking to us, that you would be highlighting things in us and that you would be revealing yourself to us. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Shortly after Ashley and I got engaged, we were at the Jiffy Lube, just down on Sunset, getting an oil change. And while we were waiting in that greasy, grungy waiting room, we began dreaming about what that day would look like. Ashley, who works in fashion, had a very clear picture of what that was going to be. It was minimal, it was sleek, it was edgy. We were wearing all black. And I, on the other hand, went to Bible college. And so I've never thought about it. And so when she asked me about what I had in mind for my groomsmen to wear... I leaned over and I said, thinking this is a really good idea, I said, gradient suits. <laughs> Do you want to know what a gradient suit looks like? Here it is. <laughs> you can imagine the horror in Ashley's face when I said that. Her countenance immediately Changed, and for the rest of that day, maybe even for the rest of that week, she doubted whether saying yes to marrying me was the right decision. <laughs> but the issue wasn't with the gradient suits. But in suggesting this, there was something much larger that was exposed that our expectations were different, and that my taste was bad. But all of us come with expectations, don't we? Our social fabric is sustained by our expectations and meeting those expectations. Our expectations are informed by culture, our lived experience, our values, and our faith. For example, I'm from a Mexican family, which most of them are here in the back row. Love you guys. Thanks for being here. And when my family says we're having Thanksgiving at 4 p.m., we expect everyone to arrive at 6 p.m. <laughs> That's just the way it is. We turn up late to everything. And so you've got to give us a two-hour uh, two notice in advance. Um, whereas on the other hand, Ashley's family, when they say they're doing Thanksgiving dinner at 2 p.m., which we won't even talk about that, when they say Thanksgiving dinner is at 2 p.m., people arrive at 2 p.m. 
And that's a cultural expectation. And leading up to this scene in our passage, Israel had been expecting God to rescue them. They had been wandering in the dark, waiting for God to show up as he had in the past. Israel had expected God to show up as he did in Egypt, with power and plagues in a dramatic demonstration that Israel's God is more powerful than Egypt's God. They were expected, they expected God to tear down Rome as he did with their former enemies. There was this expectation for God to show up with all the flashing lights and fog machines, but instead, God shows up in a new way that not even Mary could have expected. And so as we look at this passage, I want, us, I want to invite us to consider where are we with our expectations of God? Where are we with our expectations of God? We may be all over the spectrum when it comes to this. Some of us may have no expectations. It may be that God has been this abstract figure who's uninvolved and requires very little expectations. Or it may be that God has been presented as a genie-type figure, and we may have been given expectations that aren't aligned with his character or his nature. And some of us may have given up on our expectations entirely. We've endured difficult waiting and maybe found it easier to say, if I don't expect anything, then I won't be disappointed. Others of us may be in the midst of expecting God to act in a particular area, providing a job, clarity about a situation, or help in a relationship or wisdom on what to do next. And wherever we may be, I'd like to challenge us to put those things before God and be open to him creating and reordering our expectations. And so how do we do this? How do we position ourselves to allow God to reorder our expectations? I think this passage is helpful for us in that. And firstly, any expectation of God must begin with grace. It must be grounded in his grace. This is what verse 6 says. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. See, notice where this happens. It's a Nazareth, a backwater town. It's a neighborhood that you drive through as quickly as possible. You wouldn't find a Nobu or an Erwan there. And yet, God chooses it to be ground zero for rescuing the world. Notice also who is approached. It isn't the powerful. It isn't the most prestigious. It's Mary. And here are the words that she hears. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, she's a teenage girl with pretty much no social status. 
and yet she receives a greeting that would traditionally be given to a person of high status. It is as if the titles and honors of Beyonce were given to an average, unaccomplished teenage girl with chip nail polish. Before Mary had done anything noteworthy or mentionable, she receives God's favor. And that is grace. It is receiving what you didn't work for. It is getting what you didn't deserve. And Mary is surprised because she didn't expect this kind of greeting. And I don't think she expected to be noticed, and yet the God of the universe doesn't just see her, he chooses her. And I know what it's like to be looked over, to expect not to get noticed. It manifests itself in believing that God will take care of others, but not me. It shows up in doubt, believing that God is more interested in others than me. And what we see in this passage and what we see in the whole story of the Bible is that God sees the little people. He calls those who have been looked over by others to do something beyond their expectation. And that is the other side of grace. It is empowerment to do something And when we begin with grace, when we begin with God's goodness, our expectations begin to shift. We go from expecting bad to expecting good. Or as the psalmist puts it, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so if we have no expectations, or if we have negative expectations, could it be that we need Jesus to reveal his grace to us? Could it be that we still have yet to understand grace? When we understand that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, we can't help but expect God to do good. We can't help, to ex- we can't help but expect God not only to be good to us, but to do good through us. See, grace is to be received and grace is to be given out. Mary had been given grace. She had received God's unearned, unmerited favor and goodness, and it was for a purpose, to birth the embodiment of grace into the world. And so grace must be the starting point for our expectations. Secondly, a reordered expectation is centered on Jesus. Mary is greeted with grace, followed by news of Jesus, news of who he was expected to be. Verse 31 says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus becomes the center 
of her expectation. But who is Jesus? Who is this person that Mary will bear in her belly? The angel tells us who he is, and it's steeped in Old Testament thought. See, Jesus is the continuation of God's long play to save the world. The angel tells us that Jesus is the long-awaited divine king. As we sang this morning, he is a king, but not in the way that we expect. Because his strength isn't marked by violence, it's measured by patience and mercy. His peace isn't just the absence of conflict, it's in broken people becoming whole. It's in former enemies becoming friends. And his rule isn't confined to land within a border, but instead it brushes up against people's hearts. His kingship is an upside-down one, where the king bows low to serve the least. It's compelling, it's beautiful, and it's worth giving ourselves to. And in L.A., we're surrounded by competing kings and queens, aren't we? Materialism beckoning for our devotion, or individualism that puts us at the center, or fear that rules over us. But Jesus is the king that comes to set us free. He is the king we need. Who else can save? There's none but Jesus. And those are three words that I've been revisiting this week as I transition into a new phase, as I face my doubts, as I confront parts of myself that I'm not proud of. I ask, who can save me from this? Who can spare me from despair? Who can free me from my fear? And I keep coming back to those three words. None but Jesus. And so let us take our expectations and place them before the king and allow him to reorder our expectations so that he is at the center. Thirdly, don't worry, I've got about 17 of these. Our expectations must rely on the Spirit. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And interestingly here, Mary is contrasted with Sarah and Abraham who received a promise that they will conceive in their old age. And instead of relying on God and waiting on his timing, they took matters into their own hands. But Mary, however, chooses to rely on the Spirit. And she raises the question, how will this 
beat. She's like, I, I, I was in the fifth grade. I took the sex ed class. This doesn't make any sense to me. And I think her question is twofold. It's biological. How can I conceive without a man? And it's social. How can I conceive before marriage? And the laws of the day were harsh against unwed mothers. Mary will have to bear the stigma and possibly the penalty of that condition. Her social life would have been tainted. And in an honor and shame society, this was everything. It was the currency of the day. One theologian puts it this way, the birth, of, the birth of Jesus to Mary was divinely justified and yet socially condemned. And the Spirit is the solution for both. The Spirit will overshadow Mary. And that term overshadow, it's reminiscent of the um, of God's presence coming over the tabernacle in the Old Testament. It signified God's protection and his empowerment. In other words, the Spirit will powerfully work out the conception without male involvement. And the Spirit will guard Mary from the social fallout of this divine calling. Or as the kids summed it up last week, God's got it covered. And when we have unmet expectations, the tendency, the temptation can be to take matters into our own hands. To make it happen in our own ability, in our own strength, on our own terms. But this scene reminds us that it's worth trusting the inner work of the Spirit. Because God has got every angle covered. Where you and me may see two or three steps ahead, God sees beyond that. And when we rely on the Spirit, we're giving ourselves to His power at work in us instead of relying on ourselves and on His protection that covers us. A couple months ago, I um, asked Hannah about how they planted a church with six people in their living room in Culver City. Won't say much about that. I was moved by what she casually said. She said, we couldn't rely on anything else. Not our gifts, not our resources. All we had was a spirit. That's what we could offer people. And that is what this scene invites us into. As we consider our expectations, we must ask, is it dependent on me? Or am I open to the Spirit working it out? Number four, our expectations are sustained in community. The angel says to Mary, in verse 36, even Elizabeth, 
your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And I love that the angel mentions this. Because God knows that with any call, with any invitation to live the kind of life that he offers, requires community. I imagine Mary must have been, I imagine for Mary it must have been like showing up to class, assuming you know nobody there, and then realizing that you've got a friend. The angel mentions Elizabeth to encourage Mary. To remind her that she isn't alone. And though Mary's situation is unique, she isn't alone. Because Elizabeth is also involved in God's activity. And this point has been particularly real for me um, these last few weeks. Because I've been so encouraged by you. You guys have been so kind and encouraging to me, and my faith has really, it's really kept my faith strong. We um, have, we're, we'll be putting out uh, some Christmas reflections this, this weekend and next weekend, um, and Adam, Steph, and Chris wrote for that. Um, thank you guys for doing that, but I was... I was so moved by the things that they were writing, by their reflections on, on what this season is, on who God is, and, and in their love for God. I was so moved by it. And two weeks ago when we had our STC uh, Christmas dinner, I was blown away by how many of you volunteered. It was incredible. Like, the fact that I had to turn people away is incredible. Like, I was so encouraged by the faith that people showed up with. And seeing Jake last week was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, just seeing the, the intersection of all of his gifts in one particular moment was so encouraging. And Tavia, where's Tavia? Tavia, seeing the, the authority and confidence when she prays and when she teaches is compelling and it's challenging. And it's been wonderful to see her grow. And what I've noticed is a newfound depth in her faith. And it's been really encouraging for me. And there are countless more examples that I can give from my five years here at Bread. But seeing these things and hearing about God's activity in your life really sustains my own. Our expectations of God, our faith in Him is sustained in community. Life with God isn't a race, it's a marathon. And if we say we will go the distance, we don't care how far, we know every mile will be worth our while, it will require community.
And yes, it's from my favorite Disney song. Hercules, it's the best. But LA is a very isolating place. Let us not allow that to influence our faith. Let us commit to being together. And lastly, our expectations must be surrendered in faith. At the end of the announcement, we read Mary's response. This is what she says. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And I imagine Mary had her whole life planned out. It involved marrying Joseph, who may or may not have been interested in gradient tunics. She would have fulfilled the cultural expectations of her day and lived a pretty average life. And yet, God breaks in and completely upends her expectations. God interrupts her plans with his plans. And Mary is wise. She's she's a smart person. Twice we read of her reasoning through this situation. She wonders about the greeting, and she asks, how will this take place? Her mind is clearly at work. There are gears shifting She's considering the consequences. She's counting the cost. She may not have yet fully understood the implications, but she knew enough about what God was asking of her. That God's word and his presence was enough for her to say yes to him. And I ask this question with, I ask, I ask this question of us. What will be enough for us? How much does God have to do to get us to trust him? Mary's response shows us that God's word and God's presence is enough. Because God will always do what he says he will do. And because God will never leave you nor forsake you. And that was enough for Mary. And she knew what was at stake. She would be socially tainted. And what what would my community think of me? This would complicate things with Joseph. What would my fiancé say? She would bear this calling physically. What would this do to my body? But in God's presence and at God's word, she surrendered. And so what would it look like if we did the same? To surrender our expectations, to surrender our desires, to surrender our values and orient ourselves around Jesus. And we choose Jesus because he's worth it. Who else can save? None but Jesus. Who else has the words of eternal life? None but Jesus. Who else knows me better than I know myself? None but Jesus.
Mary's response is one of faith. She surrenders her body. She surrenders her questions. She surrenders her expectations. And she welcomes God's unexpected news. And so what would it be like? What would it look like to allow God's word to be enough? What would it look like for us to surrender our expectations in the coming year? I arrived to Brett in the summer of 2018. This is my friend Barrett. Uh, told me about a little church in Culver City with a weird name. And God met me in a way that I hadn't expected. I never would have imagined what would happen here when I first showed up. I didn't expect to work here. I didn't expect to make lifelong friends. I didn't expect bread to be a catalyst for me enrolling in seminary. I also didn't expect some of my words to have British inflections. <laughs> and I didn't expect to leave, ever. But God surprised me. And I think if we're open to expecting God's activity in our lives, that he will surprise us. And it's been really difficult for me to um, sum up my time here. And so I'm going to use Paul's words to help me out. I hope that's okay. His words out of, sec out of uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 capture some of the thoughts and feelings that I've had leading up to this point. So here we go. Second Thessalonians, or First Thessalonians chapter 2. Oh, it's not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. My purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of my heart. Never once did I try to win you over with flattery, as you well know. And God is my witness that I was not pretending to be your friend just to gain something from you. As for human praise, I've never sought it from you or from, or from anyone else. I loved you so much, Brad. And I was delighted to share not only the gospel of God, but my life as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, my toil and hardship with pro presenter issues getting stranded in Ojai, awkward Zoom prayer meetings, chopping loads of garlic with the STC team, and losing at field day. 
you are my witnesses. And so is God of how holy and righteous and blameless I aim to be among you. For you know that I related to you as a brother relates to his siblings. Encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom and glory. And I also thank God continually because when you, see, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from me, and Angelino from East L.A., ex-skater kid, I was on probation in seminary. It's a true story. You accepted it. Not as human word, but as it actually is. The word of God which is indeed at work in you. And after all this time we spent together, what gives me hope and joy and what will be my proud reward and crown as I stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns. It won't be the talks I've given. It won't be the amazing coffee I made in staff meetings. It won't be the degree I earned in seminary or even the events I put on for STC. It's you. Yet you are my pride and joy, and I am beyond thankful to God who trusted me with being your leader and being your friend. And so to the STC team, Katie, Charles, Noah, Joe, Shannon. <sighs> Thanks for doing this alongside of me. You truly made it worthwhile. And I've been so encouraged by your faith And I'm reminded of um, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, where he said that no labor that we do for the Lord is ever in vain. And so I leave that to you, STC team. And to um, my parents and family in the back, um, thank you for... Just this uh, spiritual heritage, the faith that you've passed down. And for nurturing it. I love you guys a lot. Uh, don't worry, we'll get through this. Um, to Ed and Hannah. My other spiritual parents, thank you for taking a chance on me. 
for always encouraging me. Can't even look at you. I'm gonna look over here. Uh, now I I don't know what to say now. But seriously, thank you so much for just the grace and kindness and um, your spiritual leadership and um, just all the ways that you've cared for me and have encouraged me. And to the unsung hero in the shadows, Ashley. Man, if it weren't for Ashley, I'd either be a monk or a hippie. <laughs> she has kept me grounded. She reads all of my talks before anyone else hears them. And uh, just thank you for your support. Um, this has been fun. And... Uh, as we wrap up and we each spend our Christmas with our families and our loved ones, um, let us remember that Jesus is the reason for the season. Or if you work at a craft brewery, the raison for the saison. Ike paid me to say that. <laughs> that was Ike's joke. Thanks. You can rate me on how that delivery was later. Uh, all right, well, I think we're going to sing a song. And then we will get out of here. This has been fun. The stuff that God has been doing at the purple church with a weird name. That's us. And so as we sing this song, I invite us to, again, reflect on our expectations. Reflect on what it is that we um, expect and just lay that before Jesus.